0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Tiny DevOps Guy.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps Podcast, where we like to talk about solving big problems with small teams. I am your host, Jonathan Hall, and today I'm excited to have Todd Hansman with me. Welcome, Todd. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Actually, you know, before you do that, um, we're going to talk about, I want to let the audience know, we're talking about observability today. Um, what it is, why you should care, or maybe you shouldn't care. Um, and to do that, I have Todd here. Todd, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and what you do professionally and how maybe that relates to observability.
0: Uh, I call myself a problem solver. Uh, I run a small consultancy with some friends of mine. Uh, we do software stuff, but, uh, this is all based on 25 years of being a dev of, or, or IT professional of other sorts. Uh, back before the internet, when you learned to dev, you learned all the things about computers ever, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of my background and why I know all the things on the ops side of the house, traditionally speaking, compared to just the engineering side. So, cool. That's why I care about observability.
1: So, you, so you learned to program before the internet, like I did.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: I used the public library in a Commodore 64 when I was g- getting started.
0: <laughs> My dad brought home a big old stack of books uh, related to DOS and mm-hmm. QBasic. And there you go. Awesome. That was what we had in the house.
1: Sweet. So you said you're working in a consultancy. How many of you are there?
0: There are six of us at the okay. moment.
1: And what kind of what kind of work do you do? Do you do software dev work or, or all sort of IT stuff or what?
0: Uh, I'm terrible at, at tooting my own horn uh, we do uh, <laughs> mostly software engineering workflow so the like we will work on a project basis as well like that's how we work but okay. the the project is not the value the the idea is we can teach you like the faster ways of development that we've come up with it as an industry we can teach that by example get some teams going with us as we go and then we create catalyzing change that's why we're called the catalyst squad catalystquad.com
1: and what kinds of companies do you work with? Are they big companies, small companies, all across the board? What, what is it?
0: We are I mean, we're not picky about the company size specifically. Um, typically, the need is going to be in a larger shop, you know, somewhere between 50 engineers and 1000 engineers is typically around the range that we're most effective.
1: So the topic for today is is observability, which is, of course, a, a broad topic. There's a lot of things we Indeed. could talk about there. Um, What kinds of things do you see? um, Maybe we'll start with your clients and we'll, we'll, I don't know, we'll jump around a little bit. But the the sort of people, the the companies you work with as clients, what kind of challenges do they have when it comes to observability?
0: I think it depends on what stage you're in. So it's a lot easier to uh, build observability into a greenfield project up front, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas it really has to work into your entire workflow, into your entire ethos, so changing to match that need is very difficult for a lot of shops, especially traditional shops that aren't tech. Uh, they, they don't know how to manage that kind of a change. Uh, but even tech companies of your have tried and failed many times to, to make that shift, shift everything left, etc.
1: So let, let, let's talk. I, I should have started with this, honestly. But let's start with defining what observability is uh is and means cuz like i said at the beginning it can be a whole bunch of different things maybe to different people uh, what yeah. what is your concept of observability what what do you think that means
0: um so it it will change slightly depending on audience that you're talking to uh the executive team is going to have a very different opinion mm-hmm. about what it means and what they care about in that that broad topic uh to the average engineer that sort of thing uh for me it's anything related to uh how your system or systems are behaving it's not just like alerting and monitoring uh the, the metrics capturing is is one thing but it's also the analysis side you need tools to do that analysis mm-hmm. and that's usually overlooked until there's a problem <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i think that side of the house it gets uh less press i guess mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. whose responsibility would you say observability is uh if if you have a, a tech team is it developers is it the operations guys is it i don't know does it belong to someone else
0: well i think uh it's 2022 and if you have an ops team and you call them an ops team you're probably behind on several several fronts <laughs> here so <laughs> that's step one is we're going to yeah. need to get you uh up to the point where observability is even a thing we can talk about yeah. but uh, I believe that a lot of the the responsibility for the actual work being done should be on engineering. I think that uh, the ops, the traditionally the ops side of the house would have been heavily involved, and they should be uh, embedded in that that world. But uh, for me, the the actual responsibility, the cultural responsibility, is is throughout the organization. You can't have a good observability program without the C-suite being on board. And they have to understand, like, what's the costs? What is the the priorities uh, adjustment that's going to happen when an alert happens? That that's that whole culture needs to be there. We hear
1: a lot about culture, especially on a podcast that's called DevOps, because DevOps is often said to be a culture, right? Yes. Um, often, though, I, I get the sense, but I, I mean, culture is also... <laughs> it's a confusing term and it's kind of nebulous and, and it's hard to like point to. You can't say, Oh, look, there's, they're doing, they have the right culture or we have the right culture or whatever. Yeah. What are some elements of this as it relates to observability? What are the things that you look for to know if you have the right culture or, or where to improve that culture? What, what, what do you, I, I know it's a nebulous question because it's a nebulous topic, but where, where do you start in that area?
0: Um, capabilities is usually where I begin. So, um uh, there was a good talk at an AWS re:Invent, it was like a keynote somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember who the speaker was or any of this. So this is a terrible terrible quote, but uh <laughs> somebody was on stage and they said uh about CI/CD, they said if you can't build your entire infrastructure from scratch in less than an hour, you're not ready for CI/CD. And I thought that was a really interesting observation. Um, worth debating uh, in another forum at some point, but the the idea that you you have this capability over here and that means that you're ready for completely related but completely unrelated capabilities over here. You're not ready to like do monitoring and gather metrics if you're not like automating deployments and version control and things like that. Like that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you're like on the other side and you can see clearly the pattern that relates the two. But usually that's where I start, is start asking questions about, okay, so how how do you deploy? Uh, What does a release look like? What do versions look like for you? Uh, How often do you deploy? Almost kind of the exact uh, questions from the state of DevOps reports over the last, like, six years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just ask those questions, and you kind of find out where their maturity level is, and you work from there.
1: So, so, So basically what you're saying is, it sounds like, is that a lot of the observability concerns, don't even worry about them until you have... CI/CD in place is, is that
0: right I, well I mean that's an example but yes okay. there are several there are several things that you probably need to do before you ever get to observability in any meaningful way you still want to okay. like go through some of the motions you know install Grafana and Prometheus and all those things but mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't use them effectively until you have the rest in place
1: so let, let's imagine you're talking to somebody It could be your client it could be a listener it could be someone at a bar and mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, we have this cool tech or a startup, whatever. Um, and the, the topic of observability comes up. And like, what's that? What? Why do I need this? Why, why would I care? You know, I, Grafana looks cool, but what does it do for my business?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so this is, uh, again, depends on the audience. Like, it's kind of like SRE is a, is a topic that's like supposedly defined, but also is not defined at all. So right. <laughs> the, the world of observability f- depends on the org. If you're like a five person team, just period, and you're working on some SaaS product, you still want observability. And as a matter of fact, like I have side projects with a friend or whatever that like we literally run the whole thing and we have observability. We have all the metrics going to Prometheus. We have dashboards. We have alerting. Um, because automating the, the pains out so you can speed up recovery is, is a huge deal for anybody. I, I do it not because like, oh, I really want to be sophisticated about these tools and it's a lot more effort. I want instead to be lazier about like ops things or, uh, I don't want to like have to like troubleshoot things, so I'm going to build some intelligence into my metrics so I can see exactly what's happening on this dashboard. Like those things matter to even small groups, but to larger groups, you can prov- provide like different dashboards for different audiences, so you can see like the thing I care about is like is the business healthy. There's your executive dashboard. Just show it a single like green yes, red no, like. <laughs> There's lots of like simple ways that this really adds value to everything. And we lean on dashboards because it's a much more visual thing, but also like developer happiness, uh, product managers will love it because, hey, I can see exactly how my feature is doing. I can see when I turned it on. I can see how that affected like all these different, completely unrelated metrics. It It's it's powerful once you get there.
1: You talked about speeding up recovery. How much of a driver is that f- for for observability in your in your mind Mm. and how much is it other things
0: i think it's one aspect it's kind of like uh uh restorations driving backups like they don't they're not the reason you do backups uh the way you do like there's a million other reasons like you did the tower thing for like tape backups back in the day like there's there's lots of policies and procedures and things that you do for other reasons like making sure that things are consistent or that you get like a certain time frame or whatever i think the same applies over in recovery is like the ultimate holy grail of incident management but um honestly if you have like a a quick recovery you have good controls in place and good understanding not necessarily like you've done observability well um so there's a lot that goes into recovery Really, observability is just about like being able to find out what it is or that there is a problem in the first place quicker, like rather than your customers telling you, which is the worst way to find out you have a problem. So I think it's related, but just a little overlap maybe.
1: Let's talk about the different—I
0: don't
1: know what's the right word—the different approaches or or tools maybe that go into observability. You talked about Grafana, which of course you can graph anything from like memory utilization to how many requests you're serving per second, there's all these sorts of things you can monitor there. Um, what Maybe we could just create like a, a quick bucket list of what are the sorts of things that you can monitor and then, and then the next we'll talk about which ones are the most important. So what are the kinds of things that you might consider uh, for observability purposes?
0: So I think the, the basics are really accessible to people like so you always start with like CPU mem disk space things like that um, unless you're in like a cloud native world like if you only have a kubernetes cluster uh, disk space is not usually something you're concerned about in a in the same way like you care about volumes filling up but you measure those differently and it's mm. so <laughs> there there's problems there but uh, other than that like It's just so easy for everyone. And then everybody thinks, like, ah, this is kind of a letdown. So you got to follow that up with more powerful metrics. Like, uh, requests are really good and can be pulled out of the logs that people are probably already using. That's always nice. Um, You want to avoid logs, and that's a weird thing for people to process when they're beginning, like, their whole observability journey. Like, metrics are better than logs. Why? And, eh, well... (laughs) Sit down, you know <laughs> the the biggest thing to me for uh, for getting someone that that magic flash of observability is powerful is to get their own metrics into something that they're visualizing, something that they're like exploring, like, oh, yeah, compare this to like how many requests per second you're having or something, and like those off the shelf metrics add your own and now suddenly like oh yeah every time you have like an order uh posted to fulfill you run out of disk space over here or something like those are those are powerful moments and i think that's the the real spark that you want
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but yeah those those sorts of things are what you measure (laughs)
1: you you just said that uh you should avoid logs i'd like you to talk about that more because i think that's kind of a counterintuitive point a lot of people will probably just go over a lot of people let's let's talk about that because i mean i mean yeah let's talk about that and and then then i'll dig in (laughs) all right fair enough
0: (laughs) so it is a it is a fairly controversial statement and especially for people that are just starting on their journey Um, logs are really useful in the the exact moment and they go back maybe 10 minutes and that's what you typically will use logs for is like you're just trying to find the bug during a debug session or an a incident or something like that. So everybody in has a very visceral exact experience with logs and they're like, don't take these away from me. And that's fine, you don't, you don't wanna take them away before you have something better. Work on the better thing first. But it is better when you're going through like the actual troubleshooting to have the right metrics instead so you know the behavior on the assembly line of processing a request, you know exactly where it breaks down, that's much more relevant information than logs that tell you the same thing because the logs will take you longer to get there and they have to be parsed out of the rest of the noise. And then it's it's not about like, you know, having good succinct logs. If you're logging very, very appropriately, you still have a ton of logs that aren't related to the incident because those are related to other things you might troubleshoot later. So logs are a lot of noise, they're hard to process. Um, you can't bring the context out, you, That's just, it's for a, for a human, right? Um, no computer can take action on them unless you're doing a lot of log parsing. Uh, that's a lot of time and money spent on log parsing that you should be spending on metrics. A number's easier for a computer to respond to. So it doesn't feel like you should But you should eschew logs in in all cases, except for you want to capture the last 10 minutes or whatever. Sure, that's fine. When you're debugging, they can be a nice signal, especially if you're not monitoring everything under the sun already. If you haven't gotten metrics for everything that you would look at logs for, keep them on. It's fine. Just don't store them for three years. Yeah, okay. And you'll slowly just switch back to metrics as you get more and more going
1: is there still a place for logs when you're trying to debug something you know, you know a customer called and last night this weird thing happened It's never happened before i mean I, I can't i mean if you had a metric for that it would be like one little tick i can't imagine yep. that that would be useful that that's the place where logs are useful right or 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 does that eventually go away too
0: I think uh if you go if you go down the rabbit hole uh you'll ha- you'll find kind of different flavors of it uh, at least as far as my experience goes, mm-hmm. um, some groups will still like keep logs, but like they just have more sophisticated like request tagging or something on those logs, okay. so that they could just do that kind of debugging. Yeah, okay. um, uh, the more effective one that I've seen, but takes more engineering up front, is there's like audit tools that they build. It's either just like an audit table of like all the things that people do, mm-hmm. or um, They'll have like a whole audit system that'll like feed from like different services and do some tracking of requests and whatnot. It's kind of a WAF thing, I guess. But some people really like that, and it's it's kind of cool to see it. Uh, I I myself wouldn't do it because I I don't have that many developers to dedicate to such a thing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but if if you have it, great, awesome.
1: Okay. So so speaking of not having enough developers. Um, hmm. That's going to be a common theme, I think, for many of our listeners, because, uh, yes. you know, we focus on small teams. And where does it make sense to start? I mean, sh- should, you, should you bypass the logging thing entirely? And like, okay, we're never going to do logs. We're only going to do monitoring. Or do you start with logs and, and wean yourself off of that later? Or, <laughs> you know, if, if you're a two-person startup and you're just trying to get some money, you know, you're, you're trying to get customers before your runway ones, runs out, uh, where do you focus yeah. your effort most effectively
0: here? Um, I don't think, I mean, storage is cheap. So if, if you are in a scenario where you have like, I, I chiefly l- work in Kubernetes right now, but, mm-hmm. um, even before that, like you're typically aggregating logs somewhere and there's tons of systems for whatever you're doing to do that easily. It's okay. Spend the extra $5 a month and have some logs or something, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like it's not, it's not terrible, but start your metrics journey early if you're just starting out start your your observability tooling on that side of the house as well the moment you you start getting going um build that muscle slowly over time and then like you'll never really look back and that's fine again it's it's super cheap it's a nice insurance
1: what are some of the more maybe unusual metrics you've seen that maybe surprised you that they were useful or would surprise an average person that they're useful. CPU makes sense, but uh, yeah, someone wondering something strange.
0: So um, there's some interesting latency metrics that mm-hmm. you wouldn't think matter, but they're very interesting in, um, in other fields, or I guess in more niche use cases. Uh, your typical web CRUD app SaaS thing, is not gonna be benefiting too much from this, but it, it's also super interesting. So maybe if it like you get the metric for free, log it anyway. Uh, the, the latencies, so latency of a request, that sort of makes sense to people um, from, okay, from my ingress to service A, what's the latency between that? But more interesting to me was latency of things like IO on disk. Or, uh, so I sent a request, I sent this syscall and it took however long to return, you know, things like that are really interesting in, uh, especially in the VoIP world. Uh, like we're on a platform that we're doing VoIP and video at the same time. Those latencies are really, really important, especially to things like jitter. So latency goes up and down, uh, other people sharing your line, whatever happens, uh, that, can be measured very very easily and you can like alert to different things like in your system like everybody's everybody's is is, uh showing latency okay then something's wrong on our network great let's dive into that so it's it's kind of a weird one uh unless you're really deep into networking which i'm sure somebody on the listening end is going to be so you know props to you you already know this but a lot of devs don't and uh it's worth keeping in mind, especially if you get out of the CRUD app only thing.
1: What do you think is the relationship between good monitoring and testing, automated testing?
0: Um, I think they're very related skills. Uh, this is so again. My background is dev before the internet, mm-hmm. um, where people assume like, oh, you learned to code and that was great. Like, no, 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 no. I learned how to monitor or how to flip dip switches on a motherboard so that I could get like the exact frequency for this other piece of hardware to respond to my code. And like, like we had manuals bigger than any book that you ever had in school. Like it's, it's a thing (laughs) like that whole world. uh, You learn everything. You just learn everything. And nobody tells you like that's difficult or anything. You're just kind of driven by like, I really want to make, this gorilla on the screen, do a thing, whatever, yeah. <laughs> especially as a kid. Today, like there's a lot of stigma about like learning all these things like, oh, that's not my job or like, oh, that that's a skill that's going to take a lot longer to learn. But we'll, Like learning how to write tests intimidates some devs. And that's fine. I understand why, but it's not actually that hard. And everybody discovers that when they go through that slog. Same thing with observability. It's like having good monitoring, having good uh, hygiene for your alerts are things that just devs just do when they learn that skill. And it feels like, oh, this is a whole like sophisticated realm. And it's like, no, this is a Tuesday afternoon conversation and then you'll be an expert. It's, it's not too hard. I think that when you have uh, good monitoring hygiene, um, not just alert management or anything like that, but like you have a good healthy relationship of I'm going to look at these metrics and make sure that like I'm not missing anything like at a glance on a daily basis, you know, but I'm not like relying on looking at them all the time. I don't have like a separate window that's constantly on this dashboard because I trust my tools to alert me. You know, when you're there, like that's a very different feeling than like that first rush of like, I've got to watch this all the time. Like, no, you don't. The whole point is to not have to worry about it until you have to worry about it. Let the computer do the thinking for you.
1: And so I, I suppose kind of related to that, uh, if you have good observability, good monitoring and good alerting in place, it, it also affords you some additional freedom to do things like testing and production, which maybe you'd be really nervous to do if you're not going to get an alert as soon as something goes wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and allows you to do things like canary deployments for uh-huh. the the testing that's automated, you know, like that sort of thing. Like, it's amazing all of the things that are like hot buzzwords in DevOps world, how they kind of are driven by observability. Like, you need metrics to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, you can't, I mean, if you're trying to do a canary deployment, but you don't know if your canary deployment works, then you're kind of dead in the water.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've got this wonderful like deployment operation that doesn't actually matter yes <laughs> so
1: I mean I, l- let's talk about some of the some of the numbers we might look for I mean I, like like maybe a service level objective or something H- how do you how do you come to that of course at the high level when we're talking about the executive dashboard that's either green or red and it's just a check mark basically is the system in good health uh, that that's a big business decision you know like w- what's our what's our key metric are we selling widgets or are we Serving our API request. You know, what are we doing as a business, and and can we do that to whatever level we define? So I know that you need to get the business involved, maybe the CEO even, to determine that. But when you start to get lower down uh, to the more nitty gritty, um, wh- what do you de- what do you look for to decide what numbers do we care about um, for whether maybe a canary deployment or should we send an alert to the to the guy at three o'clock in the morning because things are, are really bad now, or maybe they're not that bad, so we don't send an alert. How do you approach that whole
0: problem? Uh, okay, so let's break that into two buckets: yep. the the business side, I'll say, and the uh, alert management side. Okay. Uh, for the business side, um, there there's two variables that that you know going into the conversation that you must have with the business, whoever the business stakeholders are. Uh, usually the person writing the check for the the level of service should be the, the business owner in this case. So you have an SLO, it's a business objective, first and foremost. It's an agreement, it's a contract with the business that you've negotiated saying, the business is willing to pay for this level of service. And so you need to make sure that that happens. And okay, great. but. The higher the level of service, the more the cost is. So, out of those two things, you need uh, are uh, those two inputs for that conversation are what does the business need to pay? Like, what's the dollar amount or the dollar range that they are required to pay for a certain level of service? Um, They're going to want to adjust that. So, don't just have one number. Have different levels and like different designs to go through for that. Whole whole rigmarole. The second is what is it capable of now? If you're if you're talking about like an an in place service, that design is kind of static until you can refactor it a lot. You need to know, yeah, that's that's not going to be five nines at at all. Nope. the the P ninety nine on this is going to be terrible because it's just not that capable. So okay, then bring the price of that and what it would it take to get higher, like. It's a huge development effort. Is the business willing to pay for it? So that seems like a pretty straightforward framework for business side, but it doesn't work at all for like triage of alerts. (laughs) Uh, That is just going to be on a case-by-case basis, uh, especially if there's multiple alerts happening at once, which cascading failures happen all the time. That does factor in. But usually it's a, if this doesn't happen until Monday morning, what what's the impact to the business there's lots of things like oh man emails won't go out until i fix this that can happen on monday morning like unless you're huge scale and your provider will only allow so many or whatever you should know those variables but ultimately like the conversation is about what does the business need in that case as well uh, you're just thinking of it through the lens of the user experience and trying to get those calls if you don't have authority for those calls, that's lack of autonomy, and that's a totally different problem. But at 3 a.m., you should be able to make all the decisions about whether to handle an alert or not. And if you can't, then like, you're not the person that should be receiving the alert. Right.
1: If you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that first aspect, the the business thing, because I think that's going to be the part that's going to trip up a lot of people. Um because you know the audience is mostly technical. Where do you start? If you, so, I mean, let, let's imagine a, a conversation that I've had recently, uh, mm-hmm. where your CEO comes and says, "Hey, can we promise our customers ninety nine point nine nine percent uptime? We can do that, right? We can put that in our contract, right?" And I'm like, "No, probably not. Like that—that's that, you know, just a couple minutes of downtime in a week. You know, that's not very much. Uh, we probably broke that SLA yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do you go from we don't have any idea what our system is really capable of, except maybe a gut feeling to first, I guess, measuring what is our uh, our uptime or, or availability, however we define that. And then from there, let's start with that and then I'll follow up. So how do we, I mean, because I know that we, we have a monitor. We have, I think we're using uptime. I don't remember the name of the, the tool. Um, you know, there's a thousand of them that just, you know, send a ping to your server. Oh, I got 100% response rate. So I, my server is good, right? But that's not that simple. Where, where do you go from there?
0: Yeah, and I think the 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 critical question is uh, what are you measuring and what are you not? Uh, because usually like the old way of thinking when you just pinged a server and like assumed it was up was that if the server is running, it's got self-healing mechanisms like supervisor will take a crash and restart the process or whatever the, whatever you've got in place, all of those should just be working, right? And Um, So you'd have that measure and then like the first time that fails, you know, like a year, year and a half in, suddenly everybody's scrambling to figure out what the heck happened to the server and lots of forensics going on, war rooms, etc. That's not the place you want to be at all. The magic happens when you understand you're measuring all of the things you can to piece together an idea of what was happening. You can't actually measure anything succinctly. Like you can't say like, is it up right now? I have to go check and actively check again and again and again every time I want that answered. So you you have to gather the metrics of, well, it was up for the last five minutes. It's likely that it's up now. I'll wait five seconds before I check again or whatever. Once you start building that sophistication into your measurement, like, oh, I've never really thought like, I can't just hammer my server to ask, and I will never really truly know if it's up. Those are those are hard things to realize. But once you do, then you start measuring all the other things, and it's a much better world. So, you know, move through that grief as fast as you can. Uh, the other side of that coin that you were talking about is, is bringing that to the business is, like, you have to start asking questions about business value, which is not usually the... like. Go to your PM or something. If you have never done this before, it's totally fine. They'll be happy to talk business all day long with you. But you have to figure out, like, what does the business actually care about? Why? Why do customers care about that sort of thing? And then you get to a point where you're actually bringing data uh, that kind of disproves the, the current theory. That's always a good good feeling like oh i as the engineer know more about the user's behavior than than you do because i have the data and i will bring it to you and it will be great and we will commune with the user and mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's a good place to be but like you have to discover those metrics of like oh i'm actually measuring user, user behavior now not server uptime that's a very different world yeah. they're very different conversation everything everything mm-hmm. changes
1: so i mean let, let's, let's imagine a simple scenario you're you, you have an e-commerce store selling widgets And you know, an an obvious thing to do, I mean, of course, so we've already decided, okay, just pinging the server isn't sufficient, that doesn't actually prove that things are working. Um, So maybe the next step is we monitor um, how many have we had any uh, sales in the last 15 minutes, and if that ever drops to zero, okay, maybe there's a problem we haven't seen before. Uh, Or, or, you know, things might appear to be working, certain services are responding, but nobody's checking out. So that's a problem. so that's a, that's at least in theory a, a measurement of user behavior. Maybe the users are trying to check out, but they're failing for some reason, uh, or maybe your competitor just has a better sale going on right now. And <laughs> 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 but is that the kind of thing you're talking about? You know, like, like measuring number of sales rather than measuring are the servers responding and the CPUs are only at fifteen percent utilization and stuff like that. Is, is that is that the kind of thing?
0: Yeah, and and you you can kind of progress there. Like you start measuring by like. Every time a sale happens, we just increment a counter. And then you discover like rate monitoring where you can like, oh, that, that number changes if you like window it five seconds or something. So I can see how many orders a second or whatever we're getting. And then I can draw trends over time. And like, I can see like, oh, look at the like the last week. And like, if you're with outside of a 20% band, like alert me because that's weird behavior. You know, it's been consistent for months and then you have your first Black Friday and then like, oh, I didn't account for this and alerts went off and hence everybody's Thanksgiving being ruined forever. But <laughs> but the, yeah, you start discovering those things and I think that uh, those are usually more valuable because let's pretend that your servers were on fire and they just weren't responding to anything, but the user was still able to buy widgets from your e-commerce site. Do you care about the server on fire? like is that the emergency business is still happening that's a that's a weird thought experiment but it kind of drives home like the the server isn't actually the thing that matters
1: right where would you go from there so, so let, let's let's imagine that we we're not we now have our our checkout monitoring in place and we're confident that we're getting a, the the correct number of checkouts but we suddenly discovered that all of our maybe our japanese yen uh, sales are not happening because there's some conversion problem or maybe one particular product that page is broken and we're not seeing that so you know that just it's just one product of, of thousands that's that's not being sold how would you detect how would you detect that sort of thing one of the, one of these sort of corner cases
0: <sighs> corner cases are interesting um every company is going to be different because it's going to depend on your architecture uh i immediately thought oh i would just have that in the whatever payments processing service i would just be like doing metrics on a cardinality of what yen or whatever the, the currency is, that makes sense to me. And of course that makes sense to me because I just designed the perfect system to make this really easy. I've straw manned the heck out of this. Congratulations, me. But <laughs> the, the 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 ultimate problem is like you have to inject metrics for everything everywhere in your system. And even then it will still not be enough to answer all the questions. Uh but if if you have the architecture just injecting measurements at every point you can, including in adding a cardinality for like payment processing and whatever, you can do that in a monolith, that's fine. But only if that module is called every time. If you like have like completely different modules for different things and it's hard to coordinate, now you have a different problem. It will show up in your observability, but it's not actually an observability problem. It's an architecture problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think I think from there you just start measuring as much as you can all the time ever. When you discover problems that you're missing metrics for, that's a project to find more metrics. Um embrace the failure, as they say, and uh fix it today and then fix it forever. In that order. You know? You you don't necessarily do the right fix right now. You do the band aid and then you heal the system. That sort of thing.
1: How do you do that for something That doesn't happen frequently Uh, maybe it's an every sunday morning thing or maybe it's uh we sell this model of widget only once every three months so you know you're not going to get a a a five second or even maybe a a one day alert because you know that thing doesn't happen very often do you have to use different tools to address that or or what what's the answer there if there is one (laughs)
0: um so there's there's other tools out there like uh in the cloud native world we're using sentry a lot Mm -hmm. um it's getting a lot of Healthy press, I think, it's more like the old APM world uh, than traditional metrics. So you get stack traces and all that, but you can still alert off of that because it's just data, right? It's a it's event driven, but it's data. Uh, so those are good for rare things. Or uh, if you can't actually do like transactions processing is a really interesting one because if you can't actually do like a transaction to test like the end to end, you can't get true. End-to-end observability. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Stripe's really good. Plug for sprite, Stripe, uh, I guess. The they're really good at like having like a dev uh, environment, so like you can hit the dev API with the dev API key that you have, etc. and do like full end-to-end tests up to them. But you can't actually check that you're doing a, a payment without doing a payment, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, like something is being mocked, and you can't trust the whole thing. Mm -hmm. that that's an impossible problem to solve. It's an NP hard problem. The, the reality is that you're going to just let those kinds of things slip and you're going to have other pieces of data covering that ground. So you have some overlap everywhere. Uh, it's kind of like a sprinkler system. You want like two heads to to cover over each other. And this is exactly the same. Like there's going to be places that this system is going to miss because it's just not designed for that and just involve more systems. Uh, Mm -hmm. You don't want too many, but <laughs> right. they specialize. It's fine.
1: What other questions should I or, or the listeners be asking when it comes to this? Uh, what else do we need to know?
0: I would say that the, the other side of observability that, that people are more uncomfortable with, they should be having discussions about. Uh, I want to be on call as an engineer. As a software engineer, I want to be on call. Because there's no other way that I will care about a system not dying at 3 a.m. Then it will wake me up. Uh, and there's no way to circumvent that. None. So at some point, I need to be responsible for the thing or I have the wrong incentives. That is difficult for a lot of devs to like, I've never been on call. I don't want to be woken up at 3 a.m. Like, that's good. You should be lazy like that. I'm that lazy. It's fine. I've been on call for... 10, 15 years, somewhere in there, uh, off and on. It's it's totally fine to be on call, especially if you have the power to fix it. And that's where the discussion needs to happen. It's not just devs that need to like step up to the plate. It's The culture needs to be there to support it. Like, I got alert at 3 a.m. That's what I'm fixing today. I don't care about your feature anymore. This this cannot happen again. Like That's the culture you need. And that's going to take some discussion ahead of time, I think
1: yeah yeah that's always a contentious issue um for many reasons uh some companies don't even want to pay for on call <laughs> other people yes. just the company wants to but the, the but the engineers don't want to do it Yeah, there's a lot of reasons that can be complicated so but good advice i, I agree completely the biggest motivator i mean it, it, it goes not, it's not just on call but the biggest motivator for a stable system is to, to not be woken up um, that's also the biggest motivator to to write solid tests and to and to make sure that you understand the customer requirements before you write the feature, all these things, you know, it was when you pay when you pay the price for the failure, you're more motivated to to do it right.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Cool. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a few things. Um, the idea that logs are a bad uh, idea <laughs> is, kind of, is a little bit new to me. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, and I, I think it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I'll have to chew on that
0: one a little while. That's all right. You don't have to agree with me either. <laughs> <laughs> You'll come around eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it, it might be partly, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's largely due to the fact that I've not worked in a lot of environments with really solid monitoring. I mean, I've worked in a couple, uh, I worked at booking.com for a while that they, they're, they're a big, uh, uh, they have a strong emphasis on monitoring. Um, and I don't think I ever saw a log when I was there. Um, it, it, you know, I could probably get some debug output from something somewhere if I tried, but it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't routine by any means to, to look at logs there. Um, So, yeah, it it probably makes sense. Uh, Again, I'll chew on it some more. Uh, I appreciate the the challenging thought. Um, How can people get in touch with you if they're interested? Or are you on uh, social media or anything like that?
0: I am on social media. I'm pretty much Todd Punk everywhere. It's Todd with one D, uh, P-U-N-K. CatalystSquad.com. You can use the Contact Us page there if you're interested in that side of the world. Um, I'm always willing to talk on Discord or Twitter, or wherever, I'm really accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, And as long as people don't abuse that, that'll probably stay the way that I always operate.
1: (laughs) Great. Any resources you can recommend for people if they're interested in learning more about uh, these topics about how to do observability? Is there a good book to read or go to your company's website and hire you? What's the best way (laughs) to to go down this path further than a 30 minute uh,
0: podcast? If you want Like the best intro to, I guess, DevOps and and observability uh, for my flavor is the SRE book is the the start of that journey. Um, I don't think that by any means that like it's the Bible of anything, but it is the right talking points for discussing what that culture looks like at a given organization. Um, And from there, I think you just need to like build projects. Uh, You can jump on open source. You can jump on anything like that. Uh, find a community that will essentially think this way in like a cloud native observability driven way and just work on that. Just just kind of lurk and observe observability. <laughs> that's, that's usually where I say to start and usually there's like a, a Discord community or something around the language that you like. Um, they'll be doing like modern stuff. You're going to be in containers at some point on that journey because that's the thing that everybody does now but uh as long as you're comfortable learning all these things like they'll walk you through steps and how to do things on your local environment and things like that so lots of friendly groups out there i would start there
1: great wonderful advice thanks for your time thanks for uh challenging us uh we'll be in touch todd punk on linkedin twitter everywhere everywhere great todd thanks so much until next time cheers